Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I am so excited to be with you here uh, this weekend. God is here. God is moving. He's setting hearts on fire. He's speaking to people. He's challenging people. He's rewiring the way we think. And the big question we've got to ask ourselves is this. How do we take this with us and then change our schools and our campuses and our families? How do we keep the fire alight? As you can hear from my accent, uh, I'm not from around here. Someone told me today, the first time they heard me preach, they only understood one in five words that I said. So, uh, forgive me. I'm from England, and uh, I'm... Yeah, England! Woo! Yeah. I'm from England. I'm uh, married to Sam, who's a girl. I've checked. You're, you're allowed to check once you get married. You've got to have a pretty good idea beforehand, but... A few years ago, uh, I was on vacation with a bunch of guys in the south of Europe on the border between Switzerland and France. And we, uh, we were in a town called Annecy, and we decided to go out in pedalo boats on the lake in Annecy. Raise your hand if you have ever been out in a pedalo boat before. Okay. Keep your hand up if it was the most exciting thing that you ever did in your life. <laughs> Just one or two of you. Okay. Sad lives. It, it always seems like a great idea. And then you find yourself uh, in a primary colored plastic toy sentenced to spend half an hour pedaling on about a foot of water. And so we started attacking each other's boats and a water fight broke out. And before long, we, we had dived into the water fully clothed to attack each other. And all the Swiss French people were standing around on the banks, uh, mending watches uh, and eating chocolate and, and uh, looking shocked. And then we swam ashore, pulling our, our, our pedalos behind us. And I realized I had to do that thing, the, the, the most frightening thing in the world. I had to get changed in public, you know. And, and you, you get taught to do it, don't you, as a kid. The towel goes around you, you drop your wet clothes, and you pull on your dry underpants. And, uh, you know, the thing is, every single morning of my life, without fail, I've managed to put my underpants on successfully when I wake in the morning. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. But the moment you try to put your underpants on in public, your big toe becomes enormous. 
and your your underpants catch on your toe, and you it's it's not good. So I'm not looking forward to to getting changed in public. So I think I'm going to go and find a French restroom in which to uh, get changed. I don't know if you've ever been to Europe, but French restrooms are not very clean. They're not very nice. And I was not looking forward to this experience. I went back to the car, which was parked below ground level in a multi-story car park. I got my dry clothes out of the car, and I followed the signs which uh, took... The the sign said, les toilettes, you know, the, the toilets... Uh, and they took me, the signs to the restroom took me to some elevator doors. So I'm not looking forward to the dirty French restrooms. I press the button for the elevator, the doors open, and in front of me is this beautiful, clean, warm, light, empty elevator. Well, I don't know why you're laughing, because if you've already thought of it, you can't laugh at me. I I stepped into the elevator. And as soon as the doors shut behind me and the elevator started to move, I found myself pulling down my wet jeans and wet underpants, reaching for my dry underpants... And they had just got caught on my big toe, which had become enormous. When the whole elevator went light, and I found it was a glass elevator. It's true. And it was the the centerpiece of a shopping mall. Naked as the day I was born, except for my big toe, which was perfectly covered. Hopping around in a glass elevator as the centerpiece of a French shopping mall. <laughs> so so I, I, I pressed the down button as fast as I can. Convinced I'm going to get arrested when I get out of this elevator and fortunately I managed to escape by the time we got back down to the car I was fully clothed and deranged with shame and blushing on all four cheeks (laughs) the details the simple things The basic observations in life really do matter a lot. And, you know, tonight I want us to open the scriptures and look at some of the simplest keys from the Bible that will help us to take what we're experiencing here home with us in order to change campuses and schools and churches and all the rest of it. So uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, Thessalonians 5 verses uh, 16 to 18. But before we look at this, just raise your hand 
if you would really like to know what the will of God is for your life, just raise your hand, okay? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to go? All that stuff. <laughs> a few of you put your hand down about the marriage things. Okay, no pressure. It's not the Moonies. Nothing's going to be forced on you. Okay. So, we're about to look at a bit of the Bible that is going to tell you what the will of God is for your life. Okay? So this is what, let's do a little drum roll, because that's pretty exciting. A little drum roll on your thighs. Okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. You lot are crazy. Here we go. The Apostle Paul says this. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for your life in Christ Jesus is that you would be joyful always, that you would pray continually, and that you would give thanks in all circumstances. God's will for our lives is 24-7 joy. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Joy always. 24-7 prayer. Pray continually and 24-7 gratitude because we give thanks in all circumstances. And the way I sometimes put that is to say that God's will for us, God's plan for us, what he's looking for in each one of us is that we would pray, we would play, and we would obey. We would pray with all of our hearts We would play with all of our hearts too, and that we would obey God, whatever he tells us to do. So let's look at those. First of all, God's will for us in Christ Jesus is that we pray continually. Now, I don't think that that means that kind of our lips have to be moving continually, because it's hard to like have a drink, you know, if you're trying to, it's hard to sleep. What it means to pray continually is that you learn how to remember Jesus all the time. He's your first thought and your last thought. And you learn how to focus your thoughts towards Jesus. And whenever something affects you, you instinctively pray about it. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth says to clasp the hands in prayer is the start of an uprising. And if you're wanting to see some form of uprising in your school or your church or on a campus or in this nation, Karl Barth reminds us that it begins when we pray. And... uh, I've kind of been on a bit of a journey, as some of you know, with the whole prayer thing over the last uh, few years. It all began when I realized that prayer really is kind of the key to everything else we're meant to be and do as Christians. Prayer is, in a little way, a bit like sex. Let me explain. 
You know, the Bible talks a lot about sex. It's not a dirty word. The Song of Solomon is a whole book about sex. So this is a a biblical thing to say. Prayer is intimacy with God. And when you are intimate with God, and I'm not talking about physically intimate, I'm talking about spiritually intimate, I'm talking about that you share everything with God, that you are utterly honest with God. But when you get intimate with God, stuff happens. Now, I hope this doesn't come as a shock to anyone here, but when a man and a woman get intimate with one another, stuff can happen. You know, miracles actually, babies can get born. If you need that explained, see someone else later. And when babies get born, they are more miraculous and more messy than you can ever imagine. Out of intimacy comes a miracle and a mess. And when we pray, the more we pray, the more things will get conceived in us, like a pregnancy. The more vision, the more passion, heart for the poor, words of knowledge, insights, revelations of who God is. The Bible starts to come alive. Our relationships start to get put back together again. And so out of prayer, stuff gets born. Prayer is where everything comes from. David Perkins said to me earlier, he said, I want you to know that desperation was born out of prayer. It was a desire to see prayer mobilized in this generation. And so we began to pray like crazy. And out of that, this has happened. Prayer makes miracles happen. So whatever the uprising is, whatever the the thing you're longing to see, whatever the miracle, whatever the calling, whatever the impact, I'm here to say it begins in prayer. A lady called Joy Dawson says, anything not born in prayer is born in pride. You know, if we just go and do stuff and say, oh God, can you bless it? That's just proud. It's saying, you know, I can make stuff happen without God. And so we pray and we get close with God and we listen to his voice and stuff gets conceived and gets born. So I was beginning to realize a few years ago that everything begins in prayer. But I had to admit that I was really bad at prayer as well. Like if you'd asked me to make a list of the spiritual disciplines that I found difficult, number one would have been fasting. I hate fasting. It's horrible. You get hungry. I mean, it's a really good thing to do and all the rest of it, but you just, oh, you find yourself trying to pray and fantasizing about Big Macs, you know. And number two on my list would have been prayer. It was my guilty secret. I knew I should pray, but I didn't really do it very much. And so a bunch of us, uh, me and a lot of my friends, said, you know what, let's try and learn how to pray. You learn how to pray by praying. You don't learn how to pray by reading a book about prayer. You don't learn how to 
pray by getting prayer for your prayerlessness problem. You learn to pray by praying. And that you, that's, you make space and you start to talk to God. And uh, so, oh, God bless you. And uh, so we set a room aside and we decided we were going to try and pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a month. We had heard about these crazy Moravian Christians in the 18th century who prayed nonstop for over 100 years. And we figured, well, we can do a month, right? And then we started praying in this room and we kind of decked it out creatively And people were coming in and doing an hour of prayer. And then someone would come and do the next hour. And it was going through the day and the night. And we weren't a very big church. And we didn't know if we'd managed to do a whole month. But we figured if we managed to pray non-stop for a week, it would still be more praying than any of us had done ever before. And it was really cool because if you signed up and said, yeah, I'm going to go and pray at 3 in the morning. And then your alarm clock goes off at 2.30... And you think, oh no, I don't want to go. But you had to go because there was some poor soul in the prayer room who couldn't go home until you arrived. Right? So I'd be cycling into the prayer room going, whose stupid idea was this? (laughs) And it was mine. And then then you get in the prayer room and somebody's breath smelt of coffee would pray over you. You know? And, 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 And then they would leave and the door would shut and you're alone in a room with God in the middle of the night. And that's when he shows up. You know, there's a bit in the Bible that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond understanding. There's another bit that says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And sometimes it's hard to know if you are seeking God with all your heart. But I've got a really good answer. 3 a.m. is all your heart. And so that's, I think, why so often God shows up most powerfully at those kinds of times. Our prayer room shocked us all for the simple reason that God showed up in the room. Now, I know you're all like, yeah, sure, where two or three are gathered. But this was like, the creator of the universe is in this room. Ah! Right? It wasn't just the Christians who said, Jesus is here. Because Christians always say that. You know, you play E minor for two minutes on the guitar. And or you even, you're doing the vacuuming. And they're off singing tongues. You know, you say the word cheeses and they think you said Jesus and they start worshipping. You know, Christians always can feel Jesus and it's wonderful. But we had people who weren't Christians coming into the prayer room and saying, wow. I think God's here. I remember an atheist came into our prayer room and said, you can really feel God in here, can't you? I said, yeah, but you don't believe in God, do you? No, they said, no, but you can really feel him here, can't you? (laughs) We had angels. I think, showing up in our prayer room. I don't know, but that's... One girl, her name is Anna. She was kind of on the fringes of the church, but she had signed up to spend an hour with God in prayer in the middle of the night. I was amazed. And she was in there on her own, and she heard someone else praying. 
And, the, and she searched the room and there was no one else in the room. But she could still hear the voice praying. So she went out the door into the parking lot and she could still hear the praying. But there was no one out there. And so she settled down in the room and said, I guess I was just listening to an angel praying. And I don't know whether she really was hearing an angel or not. But this is what I do know. That that report went like lightning through our network of friends. And suddenly there were a whole bunch of people going, Ah, got to get in the prayer room. Angels, woo, yeah. And there were, there were a whole other bunch of people going, I am not going near that prayer room. Amazing creativity started to spread out over the walls as people graffitied their prayers and painted their prayers. And people were using all sorts of different music, dance music and, and drum beats and loud rock. And some even used war, normal worship music. But everyone was in there using their own thing to meet with God. And uh, it was just amazing what began to happen. After a month of prayer, we just couldn't stop. People were too hungry to get in that room and meet with God. Uh, People were coming to know Jesus. Prayers were getting answered. People were getting healed. People were finding peace. People were learning to pray. And so uh, then in the second month, we just couldn't stop either. And then in the third month, the thing just exploded and word began to spread. And other people heard somehow, I don't know how, about what we were doing and said, we've decided we're going to start praying 24-7. And people began praying in all sorts of strange places, in schools, uh, on university campuses, at a New Age festival, at a German punk festival, at the U.S. Naval Academy, at a radio station in Sweden, in the slums of Delhi, in the British Houses of Parliament, at a police station. Oh, and sometimes in churches as well. I almost forgot. People said, we want to pray night and day. And so after a few months, we thought, okay, we're going to have to come up with a name for this. And with no imagination at all, we called it 24-7 prayer. <laughs> and, and, and God kind of hired this guy, it's another story, uh, who, who, who designed a website which just exploded and hundreds of thousands of people use it now. And for the first few years, we, we thought any minute now, this is going to stop. People are going to stop wanting to pray like this. But I can tell you we are now nine years down the line and it is moving faster and growing quicker than at any other stage. And this virus has now spread into 96 nations. Listen, listen. The reason for that is not because we're clever, because we had no business plan, we had no budget, we had no money, we didn't know what we were doing, we never planned for it to happen. We weren't trying to make waves, we just found ourselves surfing a wave, and it wasn't a nice little pretty wave, it was the biggest, scariest wave you can imagine, and at times we thought we were going to die, and the rest of the time we thought this is the most exciting ride of our life, and the amazing thing is we're still riding the wave now, and it's really exciting because prayer works. God is mobilizing this generation to pray all over the world, and you guys are part of it. I've got a friend, he was one of our main local drug dealers, his name is Paul. 
He came to know Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he came to know Jesus. It's good news. Yeah. You, do you want to know how he came to know Jesus? He, he, we had a really, really incredibly attractive girl who was coming to church. And Paul clocked her and thought, I need to go to church to see this girl. Okay. All good youth work is a youth ministry is a mixture of hormones and Holy Spirit. Okay. So Paul came to church and the Lord was just moving in an amazing way in the meeting. The Holy Spirit was doing stuff and Paul started to rush, you know, to trip on the Holy Spirit. He started to have the experiences. He normally had to pay a lot of money and take drugs to get, but he was getting them for free by being around Christians and the Holy Spirit. So he came to me afterwards and said, look, this is a real problem for me, man, because it's just economics. It's better value to come and hang out with Christians <laughs> than to buy drugs. So I said, well, it's not really about the experience, Paul, because you don't always get those. It's about Jesus. And we began to talk and study the Bible together. And he gave his life to Jesus. And then he moved in and started living with my wife and me. And we started to help him come off drugs and all the rest of it. And Paul did really, really well. Now, here's the point. A little while later, Paul's father, his dad, died. And Paul went to... Uh, visit his stepmom. And when he was with his stepmom, she said, Paul, would you like something to remember your father by? And he said, yes, I would. She said, why don't you go upstairs and choose something of your dad's? You can take anything you want and you can have it to remember your dad by. Paul went upstairs and he chose a sweater. And he, he, he put the sweater on and every time he wore this sweater, he, I knew he was feeling close to his father. And because I knew he was having this kind of emotional experience whenever he wore the sweater, I never liked to tell him that it really looked terrible on him. Okay. It was too small for him, and it was kind of effeminate. And I, it just, but you can't tell someone that because they're having this deep experience whenever they wear the sweater, right? A little while later, Paul's stepmom came down to visit him, and he thought, I know what she'll like. She'll like it if I wore the sweater. So he put the sweater on. She walked in the room, took one look at him, and said, Paul, why are you wearing my sweater? <laughs> He'd gone to the wrong wardrobe, the wrong closet. It is really easy in life to have things that make us feel close to our Heavenly Father, but it's a second-hand experience. It's not a real deal. And there come times when the Father, I think, says to us, you know what? The Christian books are great. The Christian t-shirts are fine. The Christian CDs are glorious. The Christian conferences are great as well. The, it's all great, but at what point do we cut out the middleman and get together, just you and me, with nothing else and no one else, and talk? Right? 
And so he says to us, my will for you, first of all, is that you would pray. And out of that, everything else comes. The second uh, part of God's will for us in Christ Jesus is that we play, that we rejoice, that we have fun, that we celebrate. Yes, woo! Christians are so bad at this. Listen, I've discovered that pain is inevitable in life, but fun is not. Right? So your job is not to go out and make life as difficult and horrible as you possibly can for yourself. Your job is to make sure you have as much fun and as much joy as you possibly can without sinning. Okay? Right. This is good news. Have you ever seen that website where they reenact all the Bible stories in Lego? Yeah? You know that one? It's really funny. And... You know, one day on the 24-7 website, we thought it would be funny just to have a link to the Lego Bible stories. Just, you know. And we had all these, suddenly all these emails. What is the significance of the Lego link? Did you not know that the Antichrist is behind Lego? You know. What does it mean? I was caused to stumble by the Lego figures of Adam and Eve, naked. In Lego. And we, we started off thinking, oh no, we've got to apologize and explain. And then we suddenly went, what are we doing? And we just replied, get a life. It's funny. That's it. It, it doesn't all have to mean something. Our message is the kingdom of heaven. And if you spend your life Killing yourself, trying to tell people to get into the kingdom of heaven so they can kill themselves, telling other people to get into the kingdom of heaven who will then kill themselves trying to get other people into the kingdom of heaven. At what point do we break the cycle and start to just enjoy the kingdom of heaven? Yes? Listen, the Bible starts, this is going to shock many of you, it starts with Genesis chapter 1. Now that is a shocking truth because most Christians think it starts with Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where everything goes wrong and bad and ugly and the fall happens. The fall. (laughs) And so they think that everything in life is good and bad and ugly and fallen. But actually it starts with everything being made good original blessing before original sin and therefore we don't just see Jesus in things when they have one of those Christian fish stickers on them. We see Jesus in every single thing in life that is not sinful. You know what? You, you don't have to just listen to Christian music. Listen to music that is good. I don't drive a Christian car I just drive a car and sometimes I drive it like a Christian and sometimes I really don't. It is the way you listen and the way you look and the way you relate. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not telling you to sin. But I'm saying that the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. And our job as Christians 
is to live clean and pure and good and to celebrate all of life, to play. It starts with Genesis 1, and as we just heard from David Perkins, it ends with Revelation and this big old party in heaven with everyone singing holy, holy, holy. So it starts with blessing, it ends with a party. Listen guys, in the end it's all going to be okay. It is. The scriptures say all things work together for good. It says we are more than conquerors. We read the end of the story. And it's a happy ending. So it's going to be okay. Thirdly, and finally, we're called not just to pray 24-7 and to play 24-7, but also to obey 24-7. See, we're not just called to pray a whole load and then just have fun. That's called living in some weird Christian ghetto. We're also called to do whatever Jesus tells us to do and to say whatever he tells us to say. And sometimes it'll be uncomfortable. And sometimes it'll be difficult we don't just pray a whole lot, but sometimes we become the prayer and we walk out. We, don't, we walk out of the room to be that prayer, to be the amen. We don't just pray for the homeless guy and then walk past him and think, aren't you lucky I prayed for you? Having prayed for him, we help him. Right? We obey. The call is to pray like it all depends on God. And to live like it all depends on you. And have as much fun as you possibly can along the way. And don't apologize for it. You know, there's, uh, there's a guy, a remarkable man by the name of Andrew White. Who is a pastor in Baghdad in Iraq. And we're going to, I think, have a photograph of Andrew White come up on the screens uh, now. Andrew White is there sitting in Saddam Hussein's throne. You see the pretty rockets behind. And they wonder why we thought he might have weapons of mass destruction. And there are two female American soldiers standing next to the throne, one on each side there. He he said in an email to me, he said, the throne is very comfortable. He's also baptizing people in Saddam Hussein's swimming pool. I got an email from him a couple of weeks ago. It's just so amazing, and it illustrates this point perfectly. We don't just pray, we don't just play, we obey. We do what God tells us to do, and we say what God tells us to say. Andrew White was at Reagan Airport in D.C. waiting for a transfer flight uh, down to Florida somewhere. And he felt like God said to him to say something to the lady sitting next to him. He felt like God said to him, Madam, that he should tell her, Madam, you are to call the baby Rivka. He glanced at the lady and she was old. She was too old to have babies. 
And so he said to God, no. I will not tell her to call the baby Rivka. Then God said it to him again. Tell the lady next to you, she must call the baby Rivka. He said, God, you are in heaven, but I am English and we do not do this kind of thing. A third time, God said to him, tell the lady next to you to call the baby Rivka. And he remembered the story of Samuel in the Bible. And he thought, okay. So he turned to this old lady. He said, madam, have you thought at all? Of calling the baby Rivka. She gasped and he thought she was going to punch him. And then she said, How did you know? He said, How did I know what exactly? She said, I am about to catch a plane to go see my daughter. And she is in labor right now. And I was sitting here thinking, I wonder what we should call the baby. So Andrew said to, ah, well, have you thought of calling the baby Rivka? Which is the Hebrew name for Rebecca. The woman said, just a moment, she got her cell phone out and dialed her daughter. Now, her daughter is in labor. If you need this explained to you, I refer to my earlier point, talk to someone else later. But her daughter gets a phone call and her mom says, Darling, I've met some kind of pastor at Reagan Airport who says it's going to be a girl and we should call the baby Rivka. The daughter says, I want to speak to him. Andrew finds himself on the phone to a woman in labor. English people don't like this kind of thing. So he's like, how are you? How do you think I am? How's the weather down there? The moment the woman heard Andrew's voice, she yells, Father Andrew! He said, how do you know my name? She said, I was in the army. And I was stationed to Baghdad. And I was in your church. And she is one of the ladies you just saw standing next to Saddam Hussein's throne in that picture. What an amazing God we have, who cares so much about the names that we have, about a woman in labor, who who sees Andrew and thinks, Andrew doesn't know that he knows this woman, but actually she knows 
She, her daughter knows him and God is putting it all together. And because he had the courage to say what God told him to say, something very, very beautiful that shows us so much about God's heart took place. Prayer propels us out to be obedient, to speak for Jesus, to do the works of Jesus, to be his hands and his feet. I want to tell you one more story and then we're going to finish. One of the really exciting things that God is doing in the 24-7 movement all over the world is he is touching young people and speaking to them about his presence and about the things he's calling them to do with their lives. For me, it all began when I was a long-haired student hitchhiking all around Europe. And one night, I camped with my friend Nick in a little green tent on the most southwesterly point of Europe, in Portugal. And in the night, I woke up, and Nick was still asleep there. And I got out of the tent... And I I looked to the south, and it's the Mediterranean Ocean, if you know your geography. And I thought about the fact the next landmass is Africa. And then I turned and faced the Atlantic Ocean. And thought about the fact the next landmass is you lot. It's America. And then I turned with my back to the two oceans and looked at our little green tent. And began to imagine how Europe stretched out from there into Russia and so on, and China. And I began to pray. I began to pray and cry out to God to move in the nations of the world and in this generation. And as I did so, I heard this weird crackling, sparking noise above my head. And I started to get electrocuted. (laughs) Now this didn't sound, I know some of you are like, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-uh. This did not feel spiritual. This felt scary. If you're going to get electrocuted, don't do it on a cliff top. I thought there was like a wire overhead that was short-circuiting. I looked up. There was nothing, of course. And then God began to give me this, give me this vision. And I saw the pages of an atlas. And out of the different countries, I saw this army rising up. This generation rising up, silently awaiting their orders. And everywhere I go in the world, I see what I see here now. I see a generation saying, we want to pray like it all depends on God. We want to live like it all depends on us. And we want to have as much fun as we possibly can along the way. We don't want to play at Christianity We're not even that interested in just doing the church the same old way. We're interested in the kingdom of heaven, in the healing of the sick, in championing the poor, in ending human trafficking. We're interested. We're interested in how we engage with the environment and stop uh, global warming because Jesus told us to be good stewards of this earth and not to destroy it with the way we drive our cars. We're interested in building friendships where we don't pull each other down but we bless each other and encourage one another. We're interested in Christians getting to the heart of the arts, the heart of the movie industry, the heart of the music industry, the heart of the fashion industry, the heart of education and changing it around and bringing Jesus right to the heart of it all. Amen? Amen? 
So that was the big vision, but I didn't know how to do it. Just like you may be here catching the vision, but you get home and you don't know how to do it. And what God had to show me is that it all begins in prayer. It begins when you cut out the middleman and get your friends together and get with God and start to ask him to do things and ah, he does them. (laughs) Woo! Miracles happen. I want to be honest with you, they don't happen every time. Anyone who tells you miracles happen every, every time isn't telling the truth. But they do happen. We have to live with the reality of the miracles that God does and the pain and frustration and disappointment of the times we have to persevere in prayer. And that's just called maturity. We grow up, we persevere, we don't back off. And God moves and stuff gets conceived and miracles and mess get born in the world. That's where it comes from. And God has spoken to us that we are particularly to mobilize students to pray on the campuses of the United States of America. Out of everywhere in the world that I could be working, I know God's spoken to me about this and many of my friends. I believe it is because America is at such a key time. You've been blessed and raised up by God to be a blessing to the nations. This is a generation at a crossroads. And I believe that it is urgent that we take back our campuses for Jesus Christ. And it all begins in prayer. And so next year, if you're a college student... Or if you're in senior high, you're about to graduate, you're about to go to college, we want to challenge you really simply to get involved with this flow we call Campus America, which is just simply a bunch of friends, a network of people who say, we're going to pray like it all depends on God, live like it all depends on us, on our university campus. And from Yale and Harvard and MIT to Asbury Seminary, We are going to see prayer established next year. And I believe as a result, we're going to see visitations of the Holy Spirit on the campus of this nation next year. That will be amazing for us all to see. And it's really simple. This is not about a new product. This is not about a new brand. I don't care what logo you put on it. I don't care how you do it. But if you are going to be on a campus next year, I challenge you, gather your friends and pray. We've got all sorts of resources. Uh, we've got a website that will help you. Uh, you, can, you can go on. There's like a wiki on there and you can talk about your campus and you can connect. And I want to challenge you. If you want to be part of this army that's rising up, if you want to be someone who prays like it all depends on God, lives like it all depends on you and has as much fun as you possibly can along the way, I want to challenge you afterwards, go and make sure you get your name on the sign-up sheet on the Campus America stand over there and join the movement that is growing. I think we're already on 20% of campuses in the United States of America, and I think we're on course to see this thing grow enormous, and I'm just really excited. So this is your official invitation to get involved, and listen, dream it up. You show us how to do it. You, You amaze us. So here's the story that tells you why this matters. There's a girl called Amy, Bluffton College in Ohio. 
And she decides that she's going to get involved with the 24-7 prayer room that's taking place there. She's hanging out with a guy one day and then she realizes, oh, it's my time to go to the prayer room. And so she's brave enough to say to the guy who's not a Christian, I have to go now, I have an appointment with God. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) You say that to Christians, they're like, oh yeah, that's really good. You say to non-Christians, they're like, wow, you're mad. (laughs) She says, I I have an appointment with God. Do you want to come with me? Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, there's not a lot that's going to be more interesting, is there? So he goes, okay, yeah. So, so he finds himself in a prayer room. And he freaks out because he sees his name is written on the wall of the prayer room. And they've been praying for him. In that hour in the prayer room, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He then began to go back to the prayer room. Because he's understanding you pray like it all depends on God. You live like it all depends on you and you have as much fun as you can along the way. And he says, in a beautiful email, he says, I started to experience the Father's love. The things we were hearing about this morning. He said, I never thought I could experience the love of a father because of the way I was abused by my earthly father. But I started to experience a healing love from a good heavenly father. And then he got challenged because he understood that you don't just pray and play, but you obey. And he realized he wanted his friends who were in his frat house to meet Jesus. And so he began to pray as a new Christian for all 33 of his friends in his frat house, his frat brothers, to come to know Jesus. In his email, he just says this. He says, and one by one, They did. Isn't that great? One by one, the virus spread and they gave their lives to Jesus. So that by Christmas, every single member of that frat house, except a guy called Tim, had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And he says that where they used to be having really immoral parties, remember? We have as much fun as we can, but we don't sin. He said, we swap the immoral parties for worshipping God and celebrating who God is. And the whole frat house had been turned around. Now, raise your hand if you have a sneaking, sneaking admiration for Tim, who held out when everyone else had given their life to Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's kind of, you can imagine. Well, Amy. Remember Amy, the I've got an appointment with God woman? She, over the Christmas break, arranges to have a meal with Tim. And during the course of that meal, she leads Tim to Jesus Christ. (laughs) 34 frat brothers, within a matter of a few months, had all come to know Jesus because one girl had the courage to invite one non-Christian to come to the prayer room and he encountered God there. You know, Tim's burden, just like that first guy who got saved, his burden was for the frat house. Tim's burden was for his parents who didn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. He began to pray that his parents 
would get saved. 27 days after Tim gave his life to Jesus, he was killed in an automobile crash. 27 days. And now all eternity in heaven. And then, don't, don't clap now, don't clap now, here. At his funeral, the story was told about Tim having come to know Jesus 27 days earlier. And as a result, 15 of his football uh, friends from high school, his football team from high school, they all gave their lives to Jesus. And so did both of Tim's parents. I don't want to just tell you that story. I want to see that story repeated again and again and again on campus after campus after campus because we dare to bring the tabernacle, the presence of God, right into the middle of student life, not off on the site, somewhere on some holy site, but in the bars, on the streets, accessible geographically and culturally to every student in America next year. That's what we're going for. You know what? You know what? If we only hit half of them, I'll be celebrating. But I think it's going to be more than that. And our prayer is that as we bring the presence of God in, and as people pray like it all depends on Him, and as they become the prayer and speak out the things He tells them to do, share their faith, care for the poor, love people who are lonely, befriend international students, start to stand up for themselves in lectures, that we'll start to see a beautiful Jesus virus spread, born out of the only place that anything ever gets born out of in the kingdom of heaven, the place of prayer. Where did the church begin? In a 24-7 prayer room. Where did the Pentecostal charismatic movement begin? In a multiracial, night and day, 24-7 prayer room in Azusa Street, Los Angeles. You want to see God begin something in this generation, this nation, Get involved. Start to pray like it all depends on him. Live like it all depends on you. And have as much fun as you possibly can along the way.